morning with you. Uh, it is springtime now and uh, soon to be summer. There's not often uh, much springtime uh, in Oklahoma. It goes from spring to summer very quickly and I expect it to go into the 80s very quickly if it has not already. Man, I, uh, it's always a joy to preach with you this morning, but uh, when we get to open to passages like the one we're going to get to study this morning, uh, it is a privilege and a joy. Uh, we are in a series um, called Christ in All of Scripture, and we have undertaken the challenge, I'm not sure why, but we have undertaken the challenge of preaching through uh, every Old Testament book. Uh, One passage from each book, uh, pointing to the central text of that book and showing how it relates to Christ, God's plan of salvation, and his wondrous mystery that the Gentiles, you, will be saved and come into the people of God. What a joy and a privilege it is to see That this message is not only in the book of Genesis, not only through the law, not only uh, through the story and the history of the kings, but also in the prophets. And last week we saw in Isaiah that prophecy of Isaiah unfolding in which God will take away death and he will eradicate that through the cross of Christ. So I want you to imagine you're a disciple of Jesus. You have just seen your teacher, your master crucified on a cross and you're traveling on a road to Emmaus. You're not sure why all this has happened. You're unsure of the future for you. And a man who you don't recognize at first comes and begins explaining to you how the Old Testament, the Scripture, points us to Jesus. Well, that's happened in Luke 24, 25. It tells us this story. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a day that would have been to stand next to the risen Son of God and him, hear him talk about the Old Testament scriptures. Well, you don't have Jesus this morning, all right? But we got the Word of God, amen? And we're going to look at it. What a treasure we have in the Word of God as the prophets speak to us of God's plan unfolding and the coming glory in the gospel. Remember back in the days of old how the earth became so wicked that God was sorry he had made man. What did he do? He sent a flood, the waters 
to cover the earth. You know the story. And in that day, only eight people were saved. Noah and his family were brought through the waters of God's judgment. If you fast forward in the narrative story, the, the, the Moses is on the edge of the Red Sea. All of God's people have nowhere to go. God has taken them up out of Egypt and now the Egyptian army who is following them is coming to destroy them. And God parts the waters so that his people can walk across on dry ground to the other side only for the Egyptians to follow and the waters of judgment to come upon Pharaoh and Egypt. And now, fast forward a little further, after the time of judges, after the time of the kings, it is now Israel, God's own people's turn to face the waters of God's judgment. Just as in the days of Noah, people would not listen to the preacher of righteousness, Noah himself. Just in the days of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt had hardened his heart to God's spokesman, Moses. The people of Israel would not hear of their prophet, Jeremiah. The people's heart had become numb to their own sin. In fact, they became almost arrogant that they were God's people and that he would not come for them, that he would not come to his own city, Jerusalem, for judgment. And yet, they are about to face the waters of God's judgment. Jeremiah is uh, known as the weeping prophet because of his warnings of judgment and exile of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. If you read through the book of Jeremiah and if you're doing the one year Bible, you're either almost there or you're about to get there and you read over and over this prophet declaring the wickedness of God's people and the coming wrath and judgment of God. Jeremiah thirteen seventeen gives us Jeremiah's heart here. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Jeremiah not only prophesied that this would happen, he lived through the fall of Jerusalem. The very city in which God had placed his name. Jeremiah predicted throughout his prophecy that, he, that this would happen in an incredible fashion. He also predicted that 70 years later, after the exile, God would bring his people back to restore them back to the city of Jerusalem. 
the people of God not only rejected the warnings of the word of the Lord, but they rejected Jeremiah the prophet as well. You see, Jeremiah declared a message in which people did not want to listen. I wonder if that reminds you of any day in time that we find ourselves in. Jeremiah 5, 20 declares this. Declare this, God says to Jeremiah, declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. In the day of plenty where people assume that they will be fine and can continue to do as they please. There is a voice pointing people back to fear the Lord. It is the word of the Lord through the prophets speaking not only to the people in Jeremiah's day, but also to us in our day. And guess what? It is not a popular voice. If you read the book, the prophet Jeremiah has death threats on his life. The other prophets and the priest wanted to kill him. They put him in stocks. And even... When his prophecies came true, they rejected him. You see, the city would be destroyed, the house of David taken from the throne. And yet, even in the middle of all this destruction, the prophet brought hope and he answered some questions that we might need answered this morning. How will God accomplish his promises? How will God accomplish the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob? How will he accomplish his promise in the garden that he would crush the head of the serpent? How will he accomplish his promise to David in which there will be one who will reign on the throne forever. Ah, but there is an answer. Before we find the answer in Jeremiah, I want to show you one verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 54, 7. This is where we get... I um, 
before where we get our title for the sermon this morning, Through the Waters of, of Judgment. Isaiah 54, 7 says this, For a brief moment I deserted you. With great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. You see, God will bring his people through the waters of judgment. The city will be destroyed. The temple will be destroyed. There will not be a son of David who sits on the throne. And yet, he will provide an ark of salvation for God's people. A way to pass through the waters of his judgment. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 If you'll stand with me in reading God's word, we'll read this word together. One of the most important passages of scripture that you will ever read is right here in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask as we open your scriptures that you would reveal to us, that you would speak to us from your word, and that your spirit would speak through the preaching of your word to our hearts and our minds that we may be encouraged by the truth of the gospel. May we be encouraged to live a life that is pleasing to you, not because we have to, but because we want to. Lord, give us the desires to be with you, to follow you, and to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the middle of the night, around 11.40 p.m., the largest ocean liner in the world at the time, in the early 1900s, hit an iceberg. You may have heard of this story. 
before as the unthinkable ship began to sink. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the ship would sink to the bottom of the ocean. There was an estimated 2,224 people on board, and more than 1,500 of those people would not make it out of that water. You see, the Titanic was a luxurious ship. It was hailed as the pinnacle of engineering and development. The liner had four restaurants. The passengers ate off 50,000 pieces of bona fide china. Supplied by Liverpool's Stonier and Company. There were reading rooms, two libraries filled with books, two barber shops if you wanted your hair cut. A photographic dark room on board. They didn't have iPhones, but they had their own photography studio. A heated swimming pool. There was also Turkish baths and electric baths. Not sure what those are, but they were there. The meals were luxurious dishes as they feasted on oysters, salmon, chicken, lamb, duck, squab. I don't know what that is either, but it was there. For steak lovers, there was filet mignon, sirloin, options. It was found a menu on the, on the bottom of the ocean when they were digging through things that some of the meals had 10 courses. The people on the boat were rich, too. The combined overall wealth of the passengers in first class alone was $500 million. In the early 1900s, that's a lot of money. $87 million was attributed to one man, John Jacob Astor IV. But he didn't get off the boat. Women and children protocol prohibited him from getting into a lifeboat. And his 87 million went down with him. You see, the ship was supposed to be unsinkable. June 1st, 1911, the Irish News and Belfast Morning News contained a report on the life launching of Titanic's hull, the article described the system of watertight compartments, electronic watertight doors, and concluded the Titanic was practically unsinkable. In 1911, Shipbuilder Magazine published an article on the White Stars Lines ships, Titanic and Olympic. The article described the description the construction of the ship and concluded that Titanic was practically unsinkable. A quote was said to have been given by a deckhand when, when asked if the Titanic was really unsinkable. The deckhand replied, God himself could not sink this ship. It was the beginning of the 20th century. People had absolute faith in this new science and technology. 
They all believed that the science of the 20th century could and would, would provide the answers to solve all their problems. You see, the people of Jerusalem felt as if they were unsinkable until they awoke to the fact that they did not fear the Lord and suffered the same fate of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were to live in exile from the land that God had given them, the land in which he dwelt among them, the land in which he had placed his name upon. And without the son of David to sit upon the throne, the kingdom of God gone, the temple burned. Had God abandoned his creation? Yet through the waters of God's judgment, he would give hope of a new day, a new covenant in which God himself would deal with the problem of the broken covenant. That he would act on behalf of mankind. That God himself would bring hope of salvation and cleansing of sin. And he would do this through Jesus Christ and his coming and his work upon the cross to bring about salvation for his people. This is through the waters of God's judgment. Let's look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's a lot in here, but our first point this morning is this. The old covenant points to our sin. The old covenant points to our sin. When we speak of the old covenant... We speak of the law. And there has to be a new covenant. Why? Because we cannot keep the old covenant. The Old Testament is declaring from the beginning in the Garden of Eden to the end of the destruction of Jerusalem, man cannot keep God's law. Man cannot keep God's requirements to be in covenant with Him. Remember, we've talked about the word covenant multiple times, this partnership or covenant. And God gives a covenant on Mount Sinai with his chosen people, Israel. Exodus 19.5, we've preached this passage. You can go on our website and listen to that sermon. But there it is. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God declares that to Moses. And if you read carefully into those words, there's a conditional statement. If. That means that the covenant is based upon the conditions. That if God's people obey the commands, and Deuteronomy tells us this in chapter 28, that God would bless them. But if they would not keep the covenant, God would curse them. Remember, God gives Israel this covenant after he, in his grace, has rescued them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. He says to them, I will be their God and they will be my people. He will come and he will tabernacle among them. The presence of God will come and lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. And as Moses gives them this law that God has given to them, these are the requirements to be God's people. To reflect his character, his nature, to be holy. So just take the Ten Commandments, for instance. Let's just take three for for just our, our time together. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Why would we not do those things? Because they do not reflect the character and the nature and the holiness of God. These are against God. They are against His nature. They are against His character. And when we sin and we do this, we are not reflecting the image of God. Why? Because God is a giving God. He is not a stealing God. Why? Because he is not a lying God. He is a God of truth and not lies. And so when we utter lies and utter stealing, guess what? We are not reflecting his image in which he has created us. Therefore, we sin against God alone. Let's take the last one. Adultery. When you break the covenant with your spouse, you are not reflective of the nature and character of God himself. Why? Because he is a steadfast, loving God. He does not waver in his love. And when we reflect in a character outside of his nature, we break or we abuse the image of God. We pervert the image of God. Therefore, we sin against him. So what is the purpose of the law? 
to show us our need for Christ, to show us we have broken the covenant with God, that we are sinners. What was the law in the garden? Not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They broke the law. The Ten Commandments are the same. We were created in the image of God. We do not reflect God's image. We create a false image of God himself when we sin. So the law was our schoolmaster to teach us our need for Christ. Galatians 3.24. So then the law was our guardian. It was our schoolmaster. It was our teacher until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under this schoolmaster or guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Jeremiah hints at this point, and we just talked about adultery, but to a marriage in which a wife commits adultery. This is what At the end of verse 32, it says, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He he views Israel as the people of God in this marriage-like understanding of this covenant so that we can understand the covenant partnership that God has given through this covenant With Israel and God. I will be their God. They will be my people. In two weeks we'll talk about Hosea. That'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting day. (laughs) So uh, it'll be good. (laughs) But it'll be interesting. If you've never studied the book of Hosea. Welcome to the Bible. It'll be fun. God tells the prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. And in her prostitution, he says, go after her. Because he is showing what Israel has done to him. As they have whored after other gods. They have broken the covenant. They have made other gods their God. And it is abhorrent to God to make other gods your God. You say, I I don't have an idol in my home, Rob. I'm not caught up with idolatry. Well, guess what? Our, Our idolatry in our day is different than placing a statue of wood or stone on a shelf. It is the idol of self. John uses the words, which I think describe the idol of self very, very well. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The idol of self. 
We, we in our culture have determined that we are the God of our lives. And most of every waking moment is spent pleasing our God. Ourself. Finding health, finding wealth, finding prosperity, success from a worldly standpoint for me. Even in our preaching, I'm not going to say most of our churches, but a lot of our churches. This preaching is focused upon the idol of self. Live your best life now. The prosperity gospel. Jesus wants you to be saved so you can be successful. Let's read from the book of Jeremiah how successful the man of God who preached the word of God was to a people of God where he preached for over 40 years and nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. Oh, by the way, God told Jeremiah, don't be married and do not have children. Most of our preaching is preaching that God exists for you as some sort of genie that brings about health and wealth and prosperity for you. Instead of giving glory to God and recognizing Him for what He has given and He has done, our culture has created this God of self and rejected the God of creation so that they can go their own way. Now what is the result of even the church determining that the God of self is greater than the God of heaven and earth? Well, you have the homosexual movement the transgender movement coming out of this philosophy from the church. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. People are boasting in their desire for lust and their desire to be something outside of God's design for their life in their God-given sex. God has given his law to show us our need for a savior. We, just like in the days of Jeremiah, as a culture, are far from God. Yet there will be a new covenant. There will be a new covenant in which Christ will purchase with his blood verse 33 but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my 
people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This is our second point this morning. God will give us a heart to know him and make him known. God's promise is that he will give a new heart. One that loves God and wants to do his will. Ezekiel 36, 26, which we will be talking about the book of Ezekiel next week, highlights this understanding as God gives Ezekiel the same understanding of the new covenant. It's this new heart. Verse 36 or chapter 36 verse 26 and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be my, your God. There it is, right? The new covenant. The law will no longer be written on stone. You see that there's a problem. And now God will find the solution. God will act. And how will he act? He will write his law upon their stony, hardened hearts. God will do it. No longer will the covenant be dependent upon humanity's ability to perform the law. And how will he do this? How will the covenant be so strong that it cannot be broken? How will he write the law on their hearts? How will he change out this heart of stone that does not want to do with the God of the universe and now does? How will he do that? Titus 3, 5, and 6 tells us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's some big words in there. Washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He does it through the Holy Spirit, making us born again. New creations, new hearts, new lives. People that have the law of God now upon their heart, that they desire the things of God, that they want the things of God, that they no longer have to, they want to. 
Those under the new covenant will obey God not out of duty or fear, but out of a God-given desire and ability to do so. The spirit of the living God will come and dwell among his people and his church to be able to fulfill God's commands. Through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Christians, they don't force themselves to obey God. They desire to obey God because he has made them a new creation. A lot of questions here. I know you're probably processing. You're going, oh, did you, Rob? First question. How are we Gentiles under the new covenant if it is with Israel and Judah? I'm sure you're asking that question right now. Right? You should be. Well, Paul talks about this, that we are actually described as being grafted in to Israel and Judah, like wild shoots in an olive tree. We are somehow grafted into Israel, into the promise of God through the cross of Christ. Amen? That the cross is not just for Israel and Judah, but is for you, Gentiles. Secondly, you may be asking yourself, if God gives us a new heart, one that has dealt with sin, why do we still struggle with sin? That's a great question. I mean, if if God has given us a new heart, if he's given us the Holy Spirit, why do I struggle in my sin? Well, we live in the already not yet stage of life in Christ. We experience the forgiveness of sin. We experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. We experience new life in Christ. And yet we still live in this flesh, experience sin and its power in this world that is condemned to death. But God is making all things new. Amen? In the new heavens and the earth, we will fully experience the new covenant as God will make all things new. Amen? And we fully await for that. And Paul talks about this as well in, in Romans. Why, why do I do what I don't want to do and yet I don't do what I want to do and, and I don't do all these things? You know, God has given in our heart a desire to obey him. Sometimes, sometimes we fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated this, his love, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Verse 34 No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 
How will sinful man know the Lord? Listen, listen. Here it is. Don't miss this. Through God himself passing through the waters of his judgment. How do you know the Lord? It's because God came down from heaven to earth and dwelt among men. He took on flesh and he died. He gave his life for you. And three days later, he resurrected so that he could send the Holy Spirit, so that you could be made righteous, so that God himself could come and live in your life now. How do you know the Lord? Because God fulfilled the covenant and allowed his spirit to come and rest in your soul so that you could desire him. You were cleansed through the waters of God's judgment upon Christ and the wrath upon Christ. Luke twenty two twenty, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant in? The blood of Christ. The new covenant is God's fulfillment of our end of the deal through Jesus Christ. And so when we say we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saying we place everything that we have in Christ, not We placed our faith in Jesus and we did all of these good things. It's fully Jesus because he fully paid and fulfilled the covenant of God. So only in Jesus can we say he is our God and I am his people. The new covenant will forgive sin. That's the third point this morning. It is through the waters of God's judgment that God himself will bring this about. The cross is where the wrath of God was poured out. The blood was shed. As Jesus paid the penalty of sin and death. Because the wages of sin is death. To bring about a new covenant based upon faith. He was crushed for our iniquities and the full satisfaction for sin has been paid. The God of heaven now calls for repentance and faith in Christ. As the book of Hebrews declares, man is appointed to live once and then face judgment. And God's judgment is coming for his creation. 
Will you get into the ark that he has provided, which is Christ? I'm going to leave you with an example this morning. There was a man who went on a cruise ship. He met the captain on the cruise ship, and the captain said, Sir, the ship is going to go down. The ship is going to sink. You better have the life jacket that I have given you. Put it on because it will save your life. The man said, thank you. Thank you so much for telling me this. I will put it on right now. And he placed the life jacket on. And as this happened, he looked around the ship and no one else was wearing their life jacket. Everyone was going about their merry day living for themselves, for their own glory. Funny thing that happened is people actually started making fun of him for wearing it. He would try to explain that they too needed a life jacket. Some would pick it up and hold it saying, I really don't need it to put it on until the time comes. Sure enough, very quickly, without warning, the ship sank and only those who were wearing the life jacket survived. You see, it's a very simple story. I was actually told this when I was a young boy. And the preacher, the man of God at the time said, Son, there will be people who tell you, don't live your life for Christ. It's not worth it. I'll do it at a later time. And yet, God is coming. Our life, we are not promised tomorrow. One day is certain that every person in this room will die. And we don't want to wait till it's too late to put on Christ for our salvation, for his glory. Let us be a church that looks to the future and lives today as if he's coming back. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the waters of judgment in the days of Jeremiah that he proclaimed to them that he is coming. And Father, the judgment did come upon God's people. But Father, he was declaring so much, so much more. He was declaring that you have made a way for us. You have made a way for us to be your people. That we may be called children of God. Not because we are worthy of that. For we are like Israel. We are like Adam and Eve in the garden. We are like the people in the days of Noah. And yet you poured out your judgment upon Christ for salvation 
May we place our full weight and faith in the one who is the ark. The one who crushed the head of the serpent. Father God, we are unworthy to be your people. And yet you have called us by name to be your people. Help us to live as if you're coming back. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And we're reminded of that promise daily. Help us to remember the truth of the scriptures. Help us to follow you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, it's the time of response. We respond to the word of God in many ways, but one of the ways in which we respond is through repentance and faith. We confess our sins to the Lord God Almighty for his faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, would you confess your sin to the Lord? Bring about cleansing because Christ has paid for that sin. Confess that you need Jesus wherever you are. And if you've never given your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is worthy. If you've never placed your full weight of assurance upon Christ for salvation, do it. I don't care if you're 90 or you're 10. God wants to save you. This altar is open for prayer. It's open for counseling. It's open for anybody that wants to come. Would you come and respond to the Lord? He is a gracious God, forgiving iniquity and sin through the blood of Jesus. Call out to him. He's a great God.